Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about following your passion to start a registered charity about grief. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I'm so glad to be here with you again. Now, yes, you did hear me correctly. Today, we're talking about grief, but it's not going to be all sad and depressing. We try to avoid that here on the Women in the Middle podcast. (laughs) Um, My guests are making it easier to find the services people need when they're grieving. They created a new service from scratch, and I can't wait for you to meet them because, wow, grief is something we all experience and we just can't avoid. More help is welcomed. Okay, but just quick, before we get going, I wanted to make sure you heard about something new on my website. I've pulled all of my free resources together for you under one tab to make them easier to find, and there are 15 of them there waiting for you. So head over to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash free, and you will find them there just, you know, waiting for you to click on them. (laughs) And one more thing, if you're listening to this episode in real time, that's July 2023, you've likely heard the news that I'm turning 60 this month, and there's never been a better time to join my signature program, the Women in the Middle Academy your roadmap to creating a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. Now, in honor of my upcoming birthday, there are some huge bonuses available when you join this month. So if you've been on the fence about joining, now's the time to take action. Head over to www.talktosusie.com and book your no-obligation momentum call this month. You can also click the Women in the Middle Academy tab And that will also get you right there, womeninthemiddleacademy.com. Okay, now let's dive into this episode. This week, we're talking about grief and creating a registered charity in midlife. My guests are Justine Silver and Eileen Jad, founders of Good Grief Bereavement Healing Services in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Justine and Eileen are sisters who were both looking for a way to make an impact and give back in some meaningful way when they were in midlife. When Justine's husband passed away unexpectedly at only 44 years old, they became extremely aware of how difficult it was to navigate the system for help when grieving. Together, they decided to do something to improve the situation and created a registered charity that promotes health for grieving adults by providing referrals to essential healing support services, including healthcare professionals, educational programming, and community resources. Justine Silver has brought together her years of experience as a professional event planner and her deeply personal experience as a griever to co-create Good Grief Bereavement Healing Services. Originally from Houston, Texas, Justine made Toronto her home in 1996. She was married for five years to her beloved husband, Stuart Silver, who, as I mentioned, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in 2011. With the support of her family and friends, professional counselors, and fellow grievers, she was able to access tools and techniques to help her begin to move forward in her life. Now working closely with her sister Eileen, 
She's putting her extensive nonprofit sector experience with her strong organizational planning, negotiation, and management skills to work to develop and deliver invaluable not-for-profit community resources to grieving men and women throughout the greater Toronto area. Justine currently lives in Toronto with her Boston Terrier, Lila. Eileen Jad is also originally from Texas. She's a registered social worker and bereavement educator. She's also co-founder of their charity, Good Grief. And together with her sister, Justine, she's using her years of professional and volunteer experience to help make it easier for people to navigate their grief journeys. Personally, I've known Eileen and her family for decades. I've had a front row seat to watch them develop their passion to make it easier for grievers, find support and help. It takes a lot of commitment and courage to create something new like this. And as midlife women, that's a beautifully rewarding experience. So I know you're going to love this episode. Please enjoy. Hi, Eileen and Justine. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. I am so excited to have you both on for a few reasons. First, because we've known each other for more than 30 years. And second, because I've watched you both start a really important grief-related registered charity. And watching you do this has been amazing. Step-by-step, classic women-in-the-middle behavior with courage. And I really wanted you to have a chance to tell your story. It'll be very inspirational to other people. And then the other fun fact, there's lots of fun facts, but we both grew up in the States. And um, Eileen and I met a million years ago. We tried to nail it down. We think it was in the late 80s. We had a mutual friend. I mean, we really do go back um, a long way, like especially being a transplant, moving to Canada later. I always felt, well, I just don't have those long term roots because I, I moved here as a young adult. But I do have long-term roots, and you guys are my roots. <laughs> Some of my earliest <laughs> friends, that's for sure. Okay, so let's get started with each of you doing um, a brief intro, uh, just a little bit about who you are and what you what you were doing in the in your forties, really. Like just to start the story there, you can go back a little further if it makes sense. But I just want everybody to get a chance to understand where this kind of an idea, a registered charity where it comes from, and what the roots of that are. So take it away. Okay, I, I guess I'll start. So um, when I turned 40, I quit my job. I'm a social worker, and I had a great, flexible job. And I decided I was going to stay home with my young kids. They were uh, three kids under age 10. And um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, how long I was going to be home. But it didn't take that long to realize, okay, the kids are growing up now. It's been a few years. It's, it's time to do something. Um, I was privileged enough to have different options and um, to be picky about what I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to use my social work background, had to do something meaningful, and um, I, I had to figure out what that was. Eileen, you didn't have to do anything meaningful. It was a choice. Oh, it was a choice. <laughs> yes. And I had lots of options, and so that's why it took me a little while. In came Justine. Uh, yeah, so in my 40s, um, I started off my 40s as a self-employed event planner, and my husband died unexpectedly. And um, I had trouble marketing myself after that, which um, now I know, but back then I didn't know it was actually a side effect of grief. So I needed a job. And uh, one of my clients was having a major change, hiring an in-house event planner. So I applied for that job, and I got it. 
So my client became my employer. And uh, there I stayed kind of peacefully below the radar for a period of time. And um, I was just sorting out my personal life at the same time, figuring out who I was. My dream of having children had kind of vanished. And what was I going to do about all of that? And so those two things were in parallel, you know, um, managing my loss and sort of re-entering the workforce as an employee, not someone in charge of everything. Right. I mean, really, you really did both put that into perspective. Those are choices and situations that do happen to people. Like it's not when it happens to you, you can feel so alone. But being a stay-at-home mom and re-entering in some capacity Having your husband pass is shocking and jarring and figuring out what that all means. It's uh, crazy times in your 40s. (laughs) That's for sure. And again, you know, around here, we do try to find some upbeat humor here and there, even on dark, difficult topics. So as a listener, please don't be surprised by that. (laughs) Because humor really helps with coping. That's for sure. Um, So... Eileen, one of the things that you also spent a lot of time doing is volunteer work. And I know that in that phase of not being back in the workforce, you you were very up to your ears in, in volunteer work where you need a lot of training. Yes, I, um, I decided I was going to keep myself busy doing things that were purposeful and meaningful and still be a good role model to my kids and also um, give back to the community. If I was fortunate enough to stay home for a while, I wanted to do that. So I was the chair of um, the board for my kids' school. I um, was and still am a museum educator at the Toronto Holocaust Museum. Um, there were a few things I was doing. I found those more more in my keeping than um, handing out pizza at school. And um, I didn't like that part as much. Um, and I just um, still was looking for more. And then one day, Justine came to me. She had an idea. Um, now... I love hearing about ideas and where they come from, because it's so hard to catch an idea because you have to allow yourself to have the idea, to entertain the idea. And a lot of times we have an idea, but we don't even really acknowledge it or it's too scary and we just poo poo it away immediately. <laughs> yeah, so I'm impressed that you caught an idea. So what what happened, Justine? Well, I was searching for some meaning. So after a period of time of working for nonprofits, um, I'd kind of outgrown working for other people. I had outgrown doing something so narrow and focused. I wanted a broader range of things. And then my personal experience trying to find help, um, you know, support, whether it's groups or an individual counselor, you know, after my loss, it just really became apparent that we need, we needed something in Toronto that could um, be replicated other places, but starting here, but something where people could access the help they need. You know, if you have an alcohol problem, let's say you call AA. So what happens if you have a grief problem? Who do you call? And so again, that parallel with, I'm searching for meaning. I thought the meaning in my life would be to raise a family. And so when that kind of pivoted, let's say, politely, then it just became a search for doing something meaningful. So then my personal life and my my grief, my professional life, they all just started um, intermingling. Oh, I can totally see how that would happen. And what was it like, like you were sensing that finding help for grief was 
challenging. Why? What What were you experiencing? Um, there's long waiting lists for some counselors. Uh, there's a mismatch of counselors sometimes. Uh, my first counselor did not work out for me at all. Sometimes groups are full. Uh, sometimes there's nothing in your area. There's just sometimes you have a personal barrier and you're thinking, hey, a group would not be for me. So what else is there? Is there art therapy? Is there grief in yoga? So I just thought if we could look at grief from all the angles and see what people are looking for and how to expedite the waiting for service. And uh, that became just kind of a passion. You know, it, it's it's so important to help people with something that happens to all of us. Oh, yeah. And do you think that the age, like how old was your husband when he passed? He was 44. And how old were you? I was 40. So do you think that finding services at that age weighed into the problem as well? Or it was just difficult? It didn't really matter. It did a little bit weigh into it. Um, The first group I was in was like a mixed group. And we ended up separating the senior citizens from those under 55. Mm. Uh, But then you have to have the resource to be able to run two groups, for example. And there are underserved groups and there are overserved groups. You know, uh, lots of things for seniors, uh, lots of things for child grief. But what about people with, let's say, disenfranchised grief? What if you've lost your dog or your brother-in-law or a parent you weren't close to? How does that get counted in the system? Yeah. Well, I'm just reflecting. I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but one of the programs that you do um, together is something for friends, people who've lost friends. And I've never seen that addressed. And that was really useful to me. So, yeah, that's a really important topic, too. I, um, we have a, Eileen and I have a common friend who experienced grief, you know, as a midlife person. And he found it very difficult to find support. Um, and he really did think that uh, seniors in his community were, were very well served, but his age was not. So, yeah, thanks for explaining that. It was just so shocking. And I know um, your husband's death was a surprise, too, which just adds another whole element to it. It does. Um Stuart had always said he would be he was going to live to be 94. And so I thought. No, when I am 90, I am going to be so sad, like not like you have to live longer than that. And he said, no, no, you'll be sick of me by then. So, um, yeah, I'm a little more prepared in some ways than, you know, like things you want to live more in the moment because something could happen at any time and um, everyone should have a will. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, OK. So. Um, tell me more about this idea, because as I mentioned, I'm fascinated when ideas percolate up and see the light of day. So you had this idea. What was it like to acknowledge it and talk to Eileen about it the first time? Oh, gosh, where did that start? Um, you know, I think because I know she's a social worker and I knew how, like, all the things she was doing to volunteer... Um, and we were both looking to do something significant. You know, I said, like, what about creating a grief center? 
And I think we thought it would be a physical location before COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And, and you did, um, you did approach me with that. And I was like, Oh, like it was the first time something sounded like it made sense that I was, this, this could be something good. And this is important because this whole navigating your grief journey is, it's so difficult when you're grieving. So, um, that is the piece. Like I watched Justine go through it. I was one of the disenfranchised people because I didn't think that I should be grieving because it wasn't my husband. Um, and I didn't know what to do with this. And I thought, Oh, how are we going to do this? Like this is something we have to figure out. So we started by doing an environmental scan, seeing what was out there in our area. Um, there are grief services, but like I say, it is hard to find. And it's hard to find them at the right time um, for what you're looking for. So um, there was nothing like what we wanted to offer, which is an organization that offers multiple services and helps people figure out what they need. We match people, our clients, with the services they need. So we just started building things slowly, very slowly, um, putting together a board. We, um, we met with people we know. We were looking for different skill sets business people, communications people, palliative care doctors, um, social workers, grant writers, all these different people. Um, and several of them became our very first board. We were debating at first, should we be a business or should we be a nonprofit? And then we, um, we quickly saw that there were, there was no model for this as, as anything but a nonprofit. So we're like, okay, we're going to be a nonprofit. This is good. And then we went to our first workshop by a grant writer. And um, she said, if you don't have your own money, nobody's going to give you money. So we like, uh, okay. So we looked at each other and we were like, okay, we're going to have to be a charity. We're going to have to figure out how to become registered. So because people want tax receipts when they're donating. And um, that took a little while. And while we were doing that, we were building our website, um, building our networks, interviewing counselors because we want all of our counselors to be registered in their field and we want grief to be their primary practice. Because if you look online um, and you say, oh, I need a grief counselor, everyone who does any kind of counseling says they work with grief, but not everyone specializes in it. And we really wanted that. And so we were doing all of that at the same time. Um, and our board was there helping us and helping us um, take steps in the right direction. And um and it didn't take that long for us. We were very lucky to have um, some people that um, figured out how to um, navigate that system, becoming a registered charity. And um, here we are. You know, one thing that that I, I really uh, noticed about your story, watching it in real time and the way you're telling it now, is that you started slowly. <laughs> and to me, that that's just brilliant. <laughs> Um, but I know it's so hard for so many people to start slowly. Uh, why was it important to you to take that approach? Well, we, we're not, we're not fast. <laughs> <Start with. laughs> like our natural inclination is to be very thorough, both of us, and do one thing at a time and do it properly. Um, and so we were fortunate to have this board that encouraged us to do it that way. We didn't want to make mistakes. We wanted to make sure we were um, just doing it in the right order. Once you become a registered charity, I feel very strongly that you have. Um, it's a responsibility. Not everyone gets that opportunity. 
um, and it's taxpayers' money and all of that stuff. So we wanted to make sure we're doing it properly. And we wanted to make sure we weren't doing too much, that we couldn't meet the needs of individuals and, and people and, um, and to do it properly. That's exactly it. I just, I was so tired of overwhelming workplaces. I did not want to create that for myself. And so honoring the pace that feels good for us, uh, we're very lucky we're in sync that way. Uh, but honoring the pace that works for us, which is really slow and steady, keeping focused one task at a time or sometimes two, whatever. Um, <laughs> but it just like we're true to our own nature of, of jumping right in or going a little bit more methodically and slowly. And, um, yeah, and it just, it just feels right. And that's what makes it, um, it's a more enjoyable experience. We have not created uh, manufactured stress. There is some generic stress that comes with any kind of um, work, any kind of running a, any organization. Uh, but we really thought, like, let's also be a model for the type of workplace we want to be in, which is not overwhelmingly stressful and focused on a, on a goal that you can achieve at a pace that makes sense, right? Brilliant. I'm just nodding away over here like a bobblehead (laughs) (laughs) because it's so important. Uh, And before you know it, it can easily get out of control. So I'm sure you both realize that too, that you have to be so committed to a pace and a calendar uh, that makes sense because there's always more work to do. There's always more people to help. There's always other things that you can do and great ideas. Once you get going with the great ideas of how you can serve more people, it's hard to stop. So being really committed to that is um is something. <laughs> it's really something that looks like you guys are doing really, really well. Um, so what would you say has been one of the surprising things that's happened to you being at this age and stage and tackling such a a big project? Hmm. That's a that's a good question. Um well I think I've been surprised by myself. You know, these new, they're not new, apps and software and whatever that come out that are all designed to help you. It, um, and they're designed to, um, so like to be really user friendly. So I've just been surprised at, wow, I can run a database. I can create, um, you know, a graphic, all of those kinds of things. So that's been, um, I think the most surprising aspect like like so far like um it's not that I didn't think I could do it like of course I did but then when you actually do it you're like wow I'm using like 12 new softwares or whatever and it's um and it's a really good feeling yeah I would echo the same kind of thing um I take on a little more of the financial piece the um all the bookkeeping and all of that kind of stuff and I had no clue how to do any of that um, and I would wa- like to say probably no desire, but my desire to make this organization grow and function um, the best it can be uh, was greater than my not willingness to learn. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to get out of this um, discomfort zone and learn a few new things. And we've been pretty good at it. Uh, something else that surprised me actually was, um, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Eileen, was that the startup grants are not for organizations that have no money. 
you have to have a little bit of money and prove that you can uh, that you're good at spending money. So that was surprising that a startup grant is not actually for brand new startups. You know, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that that was that was kind of a shock, but but we we weathered through it. You know, we we figured it out and um, and and a path forward. But that was that was strange to find out. Well, as you're talking, it's just, I'm going through my head of all the different chunks of your business or charity or whatever, you know, the operation, the project, the, 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 what's it called? (laughs) Registered charity. Sorry. I'm getting mixed up with the words, but in my mind, it's a big project and you've got buckets of stuff that you have to learn. Fundraising alone is a huge bucket. Bookkeeping is a huge bucket. Grant writing is a huge bucket. All these relationships with all these social workers and, um, I don't know the other professionals that you're working with, but that's like another whole bucket. And then there's a communication piece that goes with all of that. And then there's social marketing and marketing and, and content serving development. the clients, right? And <laughs> serving the clients. Yeah. That's the other thing is that you also run your, run a couple of groups yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So can you comment a little bit on that? What kinds of things are you doing yourselves and what kinds of things are you, um, hiring out or getting help with? So our um, for our individual counseling, we have a roster right now of 19 counselors um, and we are able to refer to them. We know their schedules. We know um, what they specialize in. If they specialize in trauma or infertility or suicide survivors or whatever it is, and we know their availability. So then when we are matching someone, we can say we can give two choices and, and the client can reach out to these two people. Then um, as far as groups go, Justine and I have been running um, most of the groups. We've had some other um, social workers work with us in the past as well. Um, we do two kinds of groups, a six-week group. It's a closed group where people register ahead of time, um, and it's the same people. Um, and we also do monthly drop-in groups, which um, have a different theme um, every month, and we've run those as well. So most of those have been on Zoom, but last year, after COVID kind of lose got a little bit less, I guess. Um, we were able to um, start with our walking with grief groups outside in the park. And we're going to continue that this summer. Um, and we just started last week, um, one of our six week groups in person. And there's um, psychoeducational groups where we introduce a topic, whether it's myths about grieving, secondary losses, what to do with unwanted comments that are supposed to be well-meaning, but they're still unwanted. But can we talk uh, about that a little bit? <laughs> yes. That is a common question that comes up, and it's probably the number one thing that stops people from saying anything because they just don't know what to say and they don't want to put their foot in their mouth. So if you could share a little bit, I'm sure this would be very useful information. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Justine, why don't you start? Well, one of the favorite, my favorite things to ask someone when they've said they've lost someone is, first of all, to acknowledge that it's a significant loss or they wouldn't be telling you about it. So no matter what the relationship is, so just to acknowledge that and then ask them to tell me about their person. So instead of saying, Oh, how'd they die? They like, Oh, what did you used to do on Friday nights? Or tell me more about your dad or did your husband like camping? You know, just any, anything to, so that people can talk about their person. It's so uplifting. People want to say the name of the person they lost and they want to share the significance their life had on them. So that's my, my approach is often to 
acknowledge the loss and then ask about the person's life. What a shift, what a shift in dynamic though, because if it's the how they died, what's the reason they're asking how they died so they can satisfy their own curiosity or feel healthy or something, you know, that you don't have that problem. Uh, but yeah, it's really about their own discomfort at that moment rather than, um, being of comfort to somebody else. Yeah. Generally speaking, people don't know what to say Mm. and they just want the, the griever to feel better, right? They just, we're all uncomfortable and we're just so sad that the griever's going through so much pain. So we say really stupid things like saying, um, they're in a better place. And which is like ridiculous because a better place would be right next to me. Um, there's, you know, people can and say, um, oh, were they wearing seatbelts? They were in a car accident. You know, like, well, that doesn't feel good. No. Or um, you can always remarry, but I'll never have a son. Wow. Another son. Just, I mean, you know, and people or they just people who are trying to comfort the griever will start telling their own story. So um, when they, you know, they say, oh, when I went through this and something they think is, is similar is not similar. I think, Justine, do you have a, a good story on that one? Um, yes, that one of my, um, one of my earlier employers knew that my husband had passed away. And I had actually, I was taking a couple days off because I had to deal with a ton of stuff. He was a collector and... Um, I'll just say I inherited quite a bit of things. And um, the um, HR director said um, to me, like, oh, I know how exactly how you feel going through your husband's stuff. Last year I got divorced and my husband didn't take any of his stuff from the basement. Wow. wow. And I said, that is also awful. And then I ran to the bathroom to cry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So well, back to our... Our groups, that's what, this is a very popular topic, unwanted um, comments and how to, and how to deal with them. And so in our groups, besides talking about, you know, having a little presentation, we give ample time for all the participants to talk and to learn from each other and to, and to bond. And really the idea is not to feel isolated and for people to know that grief is a, is a normal thing. It deserves support and that you're not alone. Totally. You know, and in, in my situation, I had two parents who died young, as you know, and many of my listeners know that. But with my father dying by suicide, oh, that's people want to know how it happened. Yeah. And probably questions like, did you know? And it's like, who who are you to ask <laughs> such things? Like it's it's this very bizarre curiosity people have about those things. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It is, you know, and, and I think, uh, what you've both said is that people want the griever to feel better. Um, but that kind of stuff doesn't help. <laughs> Even decades later, it's just, it's weird. And I just love that you're able to share this with people. So what should somebody do if they, if they're, if they're being asked or told something that makes them uncomfortable as a griever? Well, one of my favorite lines, which I did not create, um, is something like, while that may be true, it's not helpful to hear right now. So when someone says, oh, at least they're not in pen- any pain anymore. Oh, at least they had a long life. You can acknowledge them. While that may be true, 
it's not helpful to hear right now. So that's sort of my, my go-to. That's a good one. Uh, when people ask some, some of the more, even more inappropriate questions, like what were they wearing seatbelts? Um, or, you know, how did they, they die by suicide? Um, why are you asking? Mm. Um, so that's a kind of a new one we learned. We have a, a few gurus and a few books that we're, you know, we're all about reading and learning from everyone. Um, and these are, these are helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Usually the suicide topic alone, like a lot of people just clam up. They don't know what to say. It's just not great. <laughs> None of these topics are, are great. And, and I also love that. You know, if, if you're listening right now and you're getting this idea, some of these ideas and you're reflecting, that's amazing. Just make it better the next time. That's all you can do because of course you care. It's caring and putting your foot in your mouth or caring and helping. That's really what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. I, I have put my foot in my mouth several times. Like I, I went to a funeral and, um, I, I, I said some, the father of the deceased said, you know, welcomed me. And I said, how are you? I'm like, how are you? <laughs> anyway, we had a good, a good laugh and it was an opportunity for me to open up and say, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean that, that, you know, but let's talk. Yeah. No, I've said stupid things too. We all have. Mm-hmm. It's about keeping the dialogue open. And one of yeah. the other things we're discovering is people are coming across grief in their workplace and not knowing how to approach it because how you, uh, might shut down a family member who's, you know, saying something you don't want to hear is different than how you might need to shut down a coworker. And um, that's another one of the things we took on ourselves is Eileen goes to organizations and offers grief support groups, let's say to, um, you know, women's organizations, congregate settings where people have lost residents that they live with. And it's important for the staff who are witnessing these losses to be able to express it and not just say, well, that's part of my job, you know? Um, so, so we've just really noticed an increase in that and also an increase in organizations wanting to improve their own grief literacy. How do they want to deal with it? Recognizing that they have a whole workforce of people who are going to experience loss. And, um, and how do you kick that up a, a level beyond your uh, standard EAP? Great point. Really great point. Well, you guys are amazing. You're coming up with such innovative ways. Um, it, could you talk about the, the friend, um, program that I've attended? Cause I think that idea to me was so innovative. I think you're referring to camaraderie. That's um, it. Yeah. 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 Camaraderie. So yeah, we've had a couple of those where we've had some speakers share that what it's like to lose a friend, which, um, you know, some of us are closer to our friends than some of our family members, right? And it's, um, it was just really interesting to hear, you know, Alan Zweibel or Andy Fickman just talk about some of these losses and how it's impacted them. Uh, what happens if, um, you know, your best friend's death day is also on your son's birthday? Ah. Um, right how do you how do you acknowledge both like is the cake black or something um yeah so just really acknowledging the strong bonds we have with our friends 
and how much life changes when you lose a close friend. Yeah, I, I think those were sort of some of the goals of, of those. But you even asked for photographs of the friends and there was a slideshow. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we love um commemoration, right? It feels good to see your person in a really happy moment. And with this slideshow, we asked people to use six words to um, describe their friend or the person in the slide. Wow, you can get a lot of context in those six words. Yeah, not a dry eye in the Zoom. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, and we we do talk about commemoration in our group, our six-week group, because um, so much is about how, how the person died and, and dealing with those feelings. But we go through a process, and and at the sixth session, we talk about commemoration because there are beautiful ways to remember our person. And in past generations, um, it was thought like we never have to talk about them again, and bringing it up will make you sad and whatever, and you have to move on. And that's not helpful. All the research theories, whatever, of today show that that doesn't work. Um, and that we have to learn to live with our grief in a different kind of way and, and remember our people. So we talk a lot about, you know, um, eating their favorite meals, making um, quilts out of their favorite T-shirts, different kinds of things you can do to commemorate our loved ones. Yeah, so good. Well, you've done a lot. You've taken, first of all, you were both searching for a variety of different reasons, but you were both searching in your 40s, looking for a way to make an impact, doing something meaningful, very common thing in midlife to be doing, but you did it and it wasn't easy and you created this uh, this registered charity. Uh, what would a piece of advice be that you could give to other people who are, you know, just barely, acknowledge or barely acknowledging an, an interesting idea that might really change their lives? Justine, what do you think? Well, for me, I always like to ask myself, you know, the R question, is there something you would regret not trying? Is there something I would regret not trying? Because the fear, like what I've learned over time is that the fear of trying actually feels better than the regret of not having tried something. Oh, mic drop moment. Yep. So true. And nobody likes, like everybody would regret having a regret. That's for sure. Regrets stink. Um, for me, it's getting out of, getting out of my head. So I would encourage people to try something new. Um, and not worry about being perfect. Um, you know, Brene Brown talks about being vulnerable a lot. And I, and I follow her because of her Texas accent and because of her vulnerability stuff. And, um, you know, there's that, that comment by um, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan about you miss um, 100% of the shots you never take. So I kept trying to put that in my head. Okay, try something new. Just try. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's going to feel good and, and, and it, and it does. Well, and, and in, it's a funny thing about fear because certainly fear has been one of my main emotions that I had to really appreciate in midlife. I had no idea I was as fearful as I was, but the thing is that it's just an emotion and, you can work through a difficult emotion and the emotion itself is just going to change shortly. Like emotions change. And so you can do it like it's, it's really step by step and doing this approach. Like don't be afraid that it feels too big. Just allow yourself to at least entertain it. And that can be a little scary and that's okay too. Just allow yourself, you know, one of the regrets that 
that seems to be a really common one is this idea that so many of us don't allow ourselves to be happy. And if you're really looking for meaning, if you're really wanting to make a contribution, if you really want to lean, lean into your natural gifts and talents, which is what you both did, uh, combined with interests and what would really feel right to you and make sense in so many ways. If you don't do it, nobody's going to help you do it. You know, you have to be able to take that first step as scary as it is. And we're all scared. <laughs> we're, all, <laughs> we're all freaking out about something. That's for sure. Um, yeah, but those are really good points. Thank you so much. So how can somebody get in touch with you? What's your website? Goodgriefhealing.ca. One word. Goodgriefhealing.ca. And of course, I'll have all of that in the show notes. And is there anything, uh, is there something free that's on your website that somebody can grab? Um, well, we have different resources listed on our website. We, and our monthly, our monthly drop-in group. There's no charge for those. And sometimes people will call and they'll ask us questions about books and different recommendations. And we talk to anyone. We, we That's just, great. So you don't have to be local, that there still would be some things available uh, to people, even if they're not local. And if you are, are local, absolutely. Please make a mental note that Good Grief Healing is here for you. Amazing. Thank you both so much for coming on Women in the Middle. You've made a huge contribution. It's been such like, I'm so proud of you just to be able to know you and to watch what you've done. You've made a huge impact uh, in the city. And I know so many more people are going to be able to get important, meaningful help from the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for having us. It was uh, so, so fascinating, you know, to uh, just to look at ourselves along the whole trip. So thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for all you're doing. So welcome. Okay, that's it for this episode. It really makes you think, right? I love that Eileen and Justine shared all of that perspective about grief. It is such a human experience, and yet it can feel so awkward when you want to help the most. I know that when they were sharing examples of the unhelpful comments that so many of us make on occasion, I was reflecting and cringing, like totally a squirm-worthy little segment there. I bet you were too. It's so common to say stupid things. So if you didn't have ideas about how to be more mindful in situations like that and more prepared, now you have some concrete suggestions. Also, I was excited to have Eileen and Justine on to explain their process for creating a registered charity. In midlife, so many of us want to give back, and this is a great way to do just that. I hope you found it inspiring. All right. As you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself in your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. You can absolutely create less busy and more balance. The bottom line is that you know you're meant for more. I know you know it. <laughs> you don't want to waste valuable time. So if you're ready to make some important changes with what I'm thinking of as a new midlife operating system, you can be way more clear about what you want and how to get there. I can help you create the success you're looking for. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together so you feel great about your future. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's good for you. 
Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 312. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week.